November 26, 2016. My name is Kellen Conley, and ladies and gentlemen, this is Hyphen Nation. A very special episode of Hyphen Nation because it's the first one ever recorded in Wheeling, West Virginia. <laughs> um, and I also have a very special guest with me here who I'm going to introduce right away. Maybe not. <laughs> She's already giggling. You're not supposed. You're giving away the giving away the plot, Nikki. <laughs> um, to my right, I have my sister-in-law, Nikki Cannon. She works in D.C. I'm gonna let her tell you what she does eventually, or I could just sit here and make fun of her the whole time. But I'm not gonna <laughs> do that. I told her I would be nice, and I asked her to be on my podcast. And I told her we were gonna be serious and talk about some real stuff. So I don't want her feeling like she's going to be under attack. But Nikki is a very talented individual. She's also an outspoken individual, which I think the world needs a little bit more of in moderation. In moderation. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome Nikki Cannon to Hyphen Nation. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Now, are you going to give me professional Nikki voice or are you going to just give me regular Nikki voice? No, this is... <laughs> you going to give me phone Nikki? <laughs> I know. Um, it's hard to break out of that uh, that kind of, you know, It does. it's not scripted or anything. It's just like you're a little bit more cognizant when you're on the phone or when you're talking right. to somebody and you know you're yeah. being recorded. No, I, I completely get that. Because it's funny when you pick up the phone, you're like, hello, this is Nikki. I am. And then normally you're like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's a very different You're tone. not like that. You're lying. <laughs> Your voice is much more high-pitched than this. (laughs) I'm adjusting the volumes up and down. I need to stop touching it. Okay. So I have known Nikki since, let's see, I met met Angel in 2001. So I've known Nikki since she was 10. Yeah. No, 89. You were 11. 11, yeah. 11. Um, I met her at her nanny's house in Kaiser way back when. And then I started dating her sister two years later. And she didn't talk to me for several years after that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, there probably wasn't much. So to I say have known her him. since she was a wee child, and we have uh, essentially grown up as brother and sister over the years. And she, there's been times that she's hated me, and there's times that she absolutely loves me. And I want the people to know all about you, the the many many fans of Hyphenation. Okay, there's there's thousands of them. Okay. I'm exaggerating, but I do have people who <laughs> listen to this show on a regular basis. Um, That's cool. So my first question, Nikki, is who are you? Who am I? Who are we really? Um, <laughs> so, it's about to get uh, real deep. You know? I know, right? <laughs> We're diving right in. Um, so like you said, I work in Washington. Um, I uh, grew up in West Virginia, um, went to school at WVU, left uh, right out of college, I moved to New York. I work in communications and government affairs um, and, uh, you know, kind of working for like progressive 
democratic issues. Uh, I work a little bit more on the government affairs side now. It's a little less uh, less advocacy. It's There's a little less fight to it, I think, sometimes. We're still working on a lot of issues, but I'm not on... Uh, I'm not out in the streets, probably like I used to be more as like a labor. Advocate. I too am not in the streets like I used to be. <laughs> no, as you know, I did more labor advocacy and um, uh, work on that side and more of like the organizing um, and campaigns work before I moved into a lot more uh, of an office setting in government relations now in DC. Okay. Okay. So since you already told everybody that you're in, you're into the whole scene in New York, not in New York, in DC yeah. with the politics and everything. We're not going there yet. <laughs> but one of my questions that I've always wondered, cause I've never, I don't think I've ever asked you like, how in the world did you get in so passionate about politics? Because there's people who are like, they know their politics and there's people like me who kind of know their politics and then there's people like you who could run for an office right now. And I don't know where that came from exactly. You know, I think it's like a, if you look back, a lot of people I think get get where they end up in life from family. And so, you know, my mom is a social worker and my father was a teacher and a principal administrator um, for a technical school. His focus was in adult education. So, I worked with, or I was around my whole life, people who were in public service. Um, and, you know, when I was in high school, I just really liked to write. And my journal's yeah, teacher. Yeah, <laughs> I spent a lot of time writing. I mean, ever since I was little, I've spent a lot of time writing. Um, and I, I, my journalism teacher gave me an opportunity to help work on a campaign, you know, um, doing actual communications work. Uh, and then... Who was that journalism teacher? Ms. Robertson. Okay. Ms. Robertson. Kaiser High School. You can't, you can't do that. I mean, <laughs> don't, don't, like, don't drill and see. You got to send a shout out. You got to give a shout out. Okay. Shout out to Mrs. Robertson. Um, she asked if I wanted to help out on this campaign, um, who was actually a family friend of ours. And, you know, I just kind of got the bug for like doing work, getting into it, looking at the issues. It was kind of around the same time that um, the Clinton Obama primary was happening so mm-hmm. we were all really invested because you graduated in 2008 right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it would have been the primary um and we were all really invested in what was going on i think all of us were kind of interested we'd always been interested i remember from like a really young age being very interested in what was going on with um the bush carry race we had a lot of friends my father did when i was really little who ran for public office like our neighbors okay did and my dad would take me and I would like hold signs and then things like that. Oh, so okay. we were, he was very invested. Um, and my mom, you know, kind of just like let me get in the mix and like explore what was <laughs> going was on like, out there. She was whatever, like, whatever, sure. whatever, just, just stop talking to <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, she was like, sure, whatever, just go <laughs> do it. Um, and it was just, it was fun. So, and you know, it's things that like affect you every day. Like I was really big in the performing arts. And the person that I worked for, how how my family knew, the, fir- the first person that I worked for on a campaign, how my family knew her was that she was a part of the local play group and she knew my father mm-hmm. really well. So it was kind of like an overlap. So I kind of saw where she kept talking to me about, we're going to bring more money to the arts. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Um, 
it was an unsuccessful race. It was for a party I actually no longer work for, but <laughs> um, it also gave me a taste of like what do each was political party? Was yeah, it was a Republican. Oh wow! Uh huh. And okay. I went to a Republican. That explains your attraction to Republican <laughs> men. <laughs> well, we were. My family's independent. I'm the only one who's like a devout uh, Democrat. I'm the only person who is a registered Democrat. I think both. I'm a registered Democrat. Are you a registered Democrat? Yeah. I didn't know that. Because yeah. I know both my brother. I mean, I guess we're giving shout outs to Christian and Angel yeah, and my they mom. They know who Angel is. They're all, I'm sure I've mentioned Christian yeah. too. They're all registered Democrats. I think Holly's a registered, or registered independent. I think Holly might be a registered Democrat. But mm-hmm. we were, were very, you know, both. It was. It's nice to work with both parties, like the work that I do now. But I have a firm belief in the platform for me as an individual. So I see where most of my family came up with, uh, you know, kind of towing the line between Democrat and Republican and supporting both Mm -hmm. parties. And for me, I just have a very firm belief in the platform now. See my family, my mom was always one of those people who was like, if you're, you, if you don't vote, you can't complain. She was never either side. She was kind of like, I'll listen to, she was, I guess, independent, so to speak. Um, But she was always, um, listen to both sides of the issue, and she would go vote, and she would never tell me who she voted for. It was always she was always like, and that was what she always told me. Like growing up, because the first um, election I re- recall, like really knowing about, was like the '92 election with Perot and oh, yeah. Clinton and I almost said Gore, Clinton and <laughs> uh, uh, Bush Senior. Yeah. Um, George H. W. or H. W. H. W. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was the first time I remember election. She wouldn't tell me who she voted for. I think she voted Perot. <laughs> I think too bad a lot not. of people did <laughs> I think a lot of people actually did that year um, and then my dad he's always I, I, I'm not gonna I know he didn't vote this past election I know he didn't vote previous years he might have voted one time but he was always kind of like whatever but I'm gonna complain about it and then my mom would always be like daddy you can't complain about the election if you're not gonna go vote and he would still <laughs> complain about stuff so I was raised in a very semi-apathetic environment when it came to politics. It was like, know what's going on, but it was it was never like forefront for me. Where it's like, you need to know what's what's happening. Well, I think there's, I think it's not so much apathy. Sometimes I think is that there's a lot of issues that people care about, and there's there's a lot going on in our lives. And this is kind of like why I like communication so much is that you know, folks do want to know what's going on and they want to know what their elected officials are doing and they want to know what's, um, you know, what's at stake when they're making their vote. But I think there's also this reality that, you know, you're going to work every day, you're trying to put food on the table, your mm-hmm. life is so disconnected. And it's, it's a huge problem, I think, for us in D.C. because a lot of people don't realize that this isn't what we talk about <laughs> every day. You know, like I sp- have spent the last two years on the election. I spent the last month and a half out on um, doing volunteer work on the campaign trail. Mm -hmm. And this is not what most people in America have the opportunity or time to do, quite honestly. Right. So it's like, I don't know if it's so much apathy, and I feel bad always saying that because I just really think that it's just, there's not a lot of time to really dive into it if it's not your job or if it's not what you do every day. And it's, it's really complicated in some spaces you know, I used to work for an um, economic think tank, and this is not stuff that you can just sit down and you're going to find in a newspaper right. because it's it's very in-depth. It's very 
um, you have to invest a lot of time in it. And I just think that it's unfair that, you know, folks don't have that folks don't have that time. And we're still we see it as being apathetic as opposed to we will just have other things in their lives when you're not sitting around in Washington, D.C. talking about this every day. So I can see yeah. where your parents come from, where it's like, if you don't, you know, like the, I think a lot of people feel like if you don't vote, you can't complain. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also like, I don't know if it's apathy or if it's just, there really is a lot of other things, even though like politics and policymaking touch every other thing that we are, have to think of, of every yeah. Single day, yeah, like every other thing that's on our mind that we have to think about. Like you're not directly sitting here thinking about the nitty gritty and like, the minute policy details that come with, you know, paying your electric bill or, you know, making sure that your kid gets to school on time. Right. So I think a lot of people get caught up in that because that's your that's that's your life. See, now you apologize for people. <laughs> I'm going to take the other route where I do think apathy is a problem, mostly because you have this golden rule that a lot of people live by. It's like you can't talk about what politics, and I can't think of the other two. It's money, like money, politics, and something else. Religion. You don't talk about those things when you're having a casual conversation, and I feel like that's permeated society so much that a lot of people just avoid the whole topic, and that lack of conversation might have a lot to do with our current predicament that we're in. <laughs> and I do feel like, and I said this two episodes ago that I feel like a lot of people really didn't to kind of get into the lecture a little bit. I feel like a lot of people didn't really care enough. I feel like they felt enough felt to a point where it's like, okay, look who's running and I'm not worried about it. So I'm not gonna worry about it. But there are the same people who were either complaining on social media afterwards or (laughs) protesting who I also called out because I said uh, my personal opinions, a lot of people who protested were, I feel like people who didn't do enough beforehand leading up to the election. I feel like there's like, Oh, whatever. And it's like, we have something to be mad about. Let's go out in the streets and go party and get mad. And you know, I mean, I do think that there, (laughs) when it comes to what, what happened post election, Folks did not see this coming and people did not see this as being like a viable option. And I think people, you know, there was when he there, won the, the nomination. How was that not viable? He was I, one of the two options. I will tell as, as someone who is sitting there on November 9th, you know, in tears in my office and not being able to comprehend this. I think that there was still even for those of us who were sitting around, you know, following this election for two years, still this idea that there was absolutely no way this guy could win. I mean, and in fairness, had more people showed up to the polls, had four million, I mean, four million votes went to Green Party candidates. We're looking Mm -hmm. at, like, you know, the Nader effect is what some people call it, um, you know, which actually originated, you know, like, you're looking at also, like, Ross Perot and things like that. And it is that, like, this idea of, like, a protest vote. And I think that folks who also put in a protest vote also thought, oh, this is okay for me now to go and protest in the street because we don't like the outcome. Well, you know, there was pieces upon pieces. And I understand that, like, as a as a person who lives in media all day, I do read a lot of it and that it probably didn't get to a lot of people. But a lot of the people who, are, who were the folks who were out there putting their, quote-unquote, protest vote in are the people who were probably reading about this 
um, and knew that this was a possibility is that mm-hmm. we were telling people, you know, you can't, you've got to get out and vote. You've got to do this. You've got, you know, like we, we spent a lot, I spent a lot of time in North Carolina and um, Pennsylvania in the last month. And we were getting out the vote there. We were telling people, you've got to go, you've got to go. And people kept looking at us and saying, we're going, we're getting out. You know, a lot of people that we actually talked to in North Carolina had early voted. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to a lot of communities where they had already been out. And I just, I mean, I can't tell you, I still struggle with how was this a viable option. When Harambe gets written in as many times as that gorilla got written in, there's an issue. I mean, and it's... And it's all these young adults. <laughs> there is a young adults population. Who think it's funny to go right in Harambe. And it was thousands who wrote in this gorilla. I mean, they're... A gorilla. Yeah, it's... This is... The, our political system is operates on a really a two-party system at this point you know we can point to the independence in the senate um and i think there's i think there's one in the house right now um Mm -hmm. or a couple uh it's a a very small number of people who get elected as an independent um you know mr sanders being one of them um but the third-party candidate the write-in option i understand that that is that is well within your right as an individual as an american citizen who is able to vote um, but this election was very, there's really no word to describe it. I, I'm still kind of in shock, you know, we're, we're weeks out, three weeks out right now, mm-hmm. almost a month out of the election. And I'm still in shock. I'm still, I I can't understand it. You know, to me, voting is very serious. It's very important. And that I go in and that I have full knowledge of, you know, I vote in the district of Columbia, um, you know, we we don't have represent we don't have real representation in the House and Senate. Um, you know, we have non-voting members. Um, and it's very important to me to have the full knowledge of, you know, who I voted for in my my ward and who I was voting for for president and you know, things like that. Like I wanted to have the full knowledge of it. So I'm I I can't fathom going in and, and writing in a candidate or voting for someone that I know is not unfortunately a viable option due to the two party systems and the constraints at -hmm. a presidential level. I'm not saying that this is not going to happen at any other levels. And I do encourage people, if you don't like what's going on in the democratic or Republican party, like look at your other alternatives, help build a movement around that because there are in the state of West Virginia, there's the mountain party. There is a green party candidate throughout the country. There are folks who run on the independent ticket. I mean, there are other options, but for me, I don't think that it's, I think that you do start at a lower level than where the folks who came in and ran on the Libertarian ticket and the Green Party ticket. Um, and Harambe is just never going to be president <laughs> for a number of reasons. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're going to completely swerve away from that for a minute. All right. Okay. So you had mentioned that you were into the performing arts earlier. Yes. And that was one of the things that I knew you for. Of course, when I met you and then as you grew up. So what are your earliest memories of music as you watch Double Wears Prada and I don't blame you? <laughs> um, I, I earliest, we were talking about this earlier. Um, we had this like cassette tape of the Broadway musical Les Mis. Okay. And 
I remember like we would rewind it, you know, like we would play that thing over and over again that like we would have to re like the tape would come out and we would have to rewind it like with the pencil. Your sisters. Yeah, my sisters. Yeah. And like that's my earliest no memory. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a lot of musical theater. There was a lot of, you know, we grew up in a Catholic church, um, a lot of hymns. Um You're also Kaiser was a surprisingly well, for me, at least when I got there in 2001, Kaiser was kind of a hotbed for for musicals and stuff a little bit, too, because of yeah. um, Doc up at Potomac State and everything. Yeah, we had a lot of opportunity with that. Yeah. So there, there was a, um, a lot more than what I had, but I'm from Hampshire County, so <laughs> it's not much around there. No, so, I mean, we did have a lot of opportunity there, which was, it was nice because it was a small community college that was there, and that did bring in a little bit more um, culturally diverse options. Mm -hmm. Um, So it did, it was, it was different than I think a lot of other places in, in West Virginia uh, and gave us a lot more opportunity. And and all of our family was kind of like involved in it. You know, my sisters, my dad, they all did the plays. Um, We would grow up to do that. Um, And then I just liked, music so i took horn lessons and voice lessons and dance lessons you were in band i was in band and choir and jazz and soloists and had no life yeah i was like the little helicopter kid that like my mom was just like taking me from one thing to another i don't think i had a single night where i didn't have you know you had dance class on mondays and wednesdays and band on tuesdays and thursdays and in between all of that there was like I would have horn and voice lessons right after school before I went to like a seven or eight o'clock dance class or went to like six o'clock band. Pra- I mean, like there was just a ton of stuff and I'm very lucky to have had those opportunities. Right. Um, so those, I mean, for me, it was definitely very musically or musical theater driven when I was younger. I mean, like <clears throat> Disney, I think contributes to a lot of this. Like you see Aaliyah, she knows all of the words to like every Frozen song. It's yeah, she crazy. knows Frozen soundtrack pretty well. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. I mean, like, I, I'm trying to think of what... The Lion King was probably like my earliest. It was what, like 92 or something? That was 94. 94, mm-hmm. yeah. So you were five. Yeah, so that would have been like... For, that's kind of what I think of like seeing in theaters first. Probably. I was 11. I was old. You were old. You were old. Do you remember The Lion King probably better than I do in theater? No, I didn't see it in theater. You didn't see it in theater? You want to know how I watched Lion King? Um, When it came out on home video, um, one of my friends had it, and they let me borrow it. And for some reason, I feel like I was on punishment. I wasn't allowed to watch TV. So what I did is I had this movie. I waited till my parents went to sleep, and I snuck out to our little TV room. I was like right next to my... Um, room on our on my side of the house and then i watched it like really late at night <laughs> and i watched like half of it one night and i watched half the next night and that's how i watched first watched lion king oh it's such a good movie it is it really is it was worth it right it was worth oh, absolutely thinking, yeah, staying up late and like that was one of the few times i didn't get caught yeah potentially being punished <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i got punished a lot so <laughs> probably well deserved um, so musicals, I yeah. figure we'll go into that because I'm really trying to avoid, I want to save all the, the other stuff. For last. All the other stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. With the, I'm talking about with 
Trump and everything else and Hillary. Oh yeah, there's a lot. Because I, I know you're gonna have, you're gonna have some things to say. I got a lot to say about that. I probably shouldn't say a lot, but well, say things as nicely as you can. I try to be diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> it's an attempt at this point. Okay. Um. So musicals. What is your favorite musicals? Oh my gosh, that's. Because like I know you love Wicked, I know you love Red, I know you love Les Mis. I have one child, so I have one favorite. I know child. you. That's the easy one. <laughs> See, it's easy. You only had one child. There's so many musicals out there. So I had never seen things. Rent until I went to see it with you when it came out in theaters. Oh God, I was so happy about that. I remember we brought Ed and he fell asleep like normal. How does anybody fall asleep? I mean, Ed like, has narcolepsy. It's, <laughs> but it's such a great, like, it's such a powerful musical. And I guess maybe. I don't know. Maybe the movie didn't capture that for everyone. I thought it was great. No, I love um, the movie. Exactly. I, I think mean, the movie's great. I like it live. I've seen it like three or four times live now. I've seen it once live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good, it's great live. Um, There's so many great, like the best thing about music and particularly musicals is like, it's the, it's this way of telling a story. And like, again, as somebody who works in communications for a living, like, that's what I do. That's what I like. And this is one of the most beautiful ways to tell a story for me is, you know, telling it through this uh, melody and this great compilation of of sound. Um, so there's so many great musicals out there and there's so much. There's there's wonderful things that are coming out right now. You know, I just saw um, Fun House on Broadway when I was in New York. Uh, over the summer. Never heard of it. It's this really great musical. It's kind of a um it's kind of like the coming out story of for this uh young girl who um is looking back on her life and looking back at uh she's from a small town and she's looking back on her life and like telling the story of like when she came out. Um mm-hmm. when she realized, you know, that uh she that that she was a lesbian and and kind of like realized that her father was was also gay and kind of hiding it and that that just wasn't. I've been drinking a little. I was like, her father's also a lesbian, but I didn't go there. <laughs> no, I didn't go there. No, her father, you know, kind of like realizing that her father was gay and and just like that he that could wasn't, never come out. Yeah, that that wasn't socially acceptable at that right. point in time, and that you know there was this whole you know his her father like uh, was like fixing up this house. It's it's very emotional piece and Mm -hmm. it's it's really great because it's done one of the smaller theaters so it's very like intimate um because you're kind of like a part of we had front row seats and you're like a part we had front row seats yeah (laughs) i did not i don't know how they found them i think they were i think somehow we lucked into tickets um and they you're a part of the stage because you're down uh, right on the stage is like on the ground and when you're in the front row you're right in the middle of the set so uh it was it was really great but i i've seen a couple of things also i saw a couple of things off broadway that i really liked when i was living in new york there was lots of not great reviews from the new york times in different places about the musical bear which mm-hmm. is also like kind of this like coming out story coming of age story about a um a religious school so there's a lot of things so it's think, not about a, a larger male who's called a bear and they Community. No, it, B-A-R-E. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very I was like, that musical. sounds like, awesome. This sounds like a great musical. <laughs> no, I'm sure they do that in P-Town um, during Bear Week. Um, What's P-Town? P-Town? Pro- uh, it's Provincetown, Massachusetts. They do a 
great LGBT friendly celebration. You hear that, everybody? <laughs> it's called Providence. Well, no, Provincetown, Provincetown, Massachusetts, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Oh, I can't said, say Massachusetts. Somebody has a I couple can't, drinks. <laughs> no, I can't say it normally. I always gotta I always want to say Massachusetts. It's Massachusetts. Yeah. Okay. See, I just learned something new about Provincetown. Yeah, Provincetown. Um, okay, go ahead. Such a cute little town. But um no, there's a lot of great things out there that, you know, don't make it to the forefront. Kinky boots, I hear really good things about you haven't uh, seen Kinky Boots. I have yet. not seen it. I've heard the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um just like you've heard Hamilton. And you love oh, Hamilton. Hamilton. I mean, you know, I I have such an appreciation for it musically, and there have been some really great critiques of it following um, its, you know, major uh, how how big it has become. Right, cultural and, phenomenon. Yeah, thank you. That's a great way to that's a great way to explain. That's how it. I describe myself most <laughs> of the time. I think that's that's very apt right there. <laughs> But there have been some great critiques of it about, you know, like what it's left out, what it could have have included. There's mm-hmm. one that um, a friend of mine sent to me about um, it, how it doesn't because it's written by a, a man and that it is written with the help of a male historian that it kind of erases parts that are, are where women fit into the uh the founding of our country and the where narrative. women played it. Yeah. How mm-hmm. women played a role. So it's, it's a great musical and I highly encourage everyone to give it a listen. It's fantastic. The original cast recording has some stellar, uh, performances. Um, I know there's Trump supporters who apparently are boycotting it now. So I assume that that I means tickets. I talked about that last episode. Yeah. <laughs> I said, give me your tickets. Yeah. If y'all got tickets, like I'll take them right now. So yeah, I, I highly doubt that the folks who, uh, supported Mr. Trump are, are very interested in Hamilton period. <laughs> so but shots fired. <laughs> I mean, if they are, that's great. I encourage <laughs> everyone to be a part of the musical theater world and to go and experience Hamilton. Uh, whether it is in person, but those tickets are super expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I would love a set of them, but I don't think, you know, you have to buy them like a year out now. That's how everyone, anybody I know who has, who has seen it, they have wait, like they bought them like right after Hamilton first premiered. Right. And like, they bought them like a year in advance. Cause it's like. <sighs> Somebody I know that I Can't work with. Can't they just film this and put it on the big screen so we can all watch it, please? Know, but it's it's different seeing it live. It's so good live. Just I'm film like, the play. I know it's not the I same. Know. I don't want them to do a movie version. I want them to do just film the play. Well, I heard uh, Lin Manuel is um, he's really good about like trying to speed up to get the rights so that you can do like mm-hmm. uh, high school performances and touring performances. So I heard that he's trying to move that process along. Yeah. Because so it, it takes reach. years normally to do all that, right? Yeah. And so, like, he wants it to reach more folks. So, like, mm-hmm. having it able to reach, like, the Kennedy Center or the, um, you know, like, in, in Pittsburgh, in, which has a really great uh, theater district. Mm-hmm. Um, the ballets up there are fantastic. Um, but it'd be nice for if, if that process was, could be moved along a little bit. Okay. Next serious question. All right. Next serious question. How bad was Russell Crowe in Les Mis? Uh, I mean, he's not my cup of tea in anything for personally. You know, like Gladiators, it's a good movie. It's not my fave, but... um, I've never watched all Gladiator. 
Really? I have a certain list, okay? Okay. Certain movies, when they get to certain, when everybody's like talking about them and I haven't seen them, I get, I get jaded. What else and not because I haven't seen it. It's just like, you know what? All these people think this is so great. I don't I'm not going to watch it. What else is on this list? Dirty Dancing was on that list for what? years. What? Was on that list okay, for years. Okay, thank God. Now, I love Dirty Dancing. Obviously. I finally broke down like maybe three it's or four crazy. years Come ago. I finally man. watched it. Um, Avatar. Okay, I haven't seen Avatar. I yeah. didn't have any desire to. Yeah, never had any desire. Um, I guess you could say Casablanca Gone with the Wind. Casablanca is really great. That's what everybody says. You know, I mean, like Gone with the Wind. I've got some. I've I've got a lot of problems with the historical um, inaccuracies. See, I wouldn't know. Um, I, I'm trying trying to think of stuff that I haven't seen. There, but it like there's just random things, and like people say, "You've never seen so and so." It's like no, and that is one of them. Yeah, I mean, seen. it's all right, and like he's. I mean, I guess he's he's. He's good. Yeah. You know, he was not who I would have cast. I thought Hugh Jackman <laughs> was great, but like you put him next to Russell Crowe and I'm just like, oh. I just randomly threw that off you. It at was you not off the cuff. And Hathaway was wonderful in it, though. She definitely deserved that Oscar. She did a great job. She was really good. Yeah. Um, Adina Menzel. That's my girl in everything, no matter what she yeah, does. Yeah, you, you haven't said anything about she Wicked. legit or, can't do. I mean, you did say mention Frozen. But uh, what about her influence on, uh, like, isn't she one of your spirit animals, so to speak? Because you've I, been talking about Adina Menzel since before I knew who she was. Listen, and I didn't know who she was until I watched Rent. And I still haven't, li- w- Wicked. I never, never listened to the whole Wicked You haven't soundtrack. listened the whole way through? Oh, haven't it's such it. a great, I mean. I know Defying Gravity, that's it. You should also read the book, Wicked, which was kind of like, talk about politics, how politics, uh, I moved into politics. Wicked, the book, is one of the most politically charged. I mean, it's a it's social commentary at its finest Um, because like the essential is is that, you know, you've got the Elphaba, the witch, um, and she goes off to school and she kind of is like this like social activist, you know, like there's animals with a capital A and animals. So there's animals, the proper um and like there's proper animals and lowercase animals yeah so like there's the animals that can talk and those are animals with a capital a um and then animals with lowercase a that are just like you know like your pet cat um so like she's kind of like they're trying to like segregate them and like say that like the animals that can talk aren't really like they aren't a part of society and you know alpha was like leading and that does get lost the one thing with musical that does make me a little sad is like that kind of gets lost out of it and that's one of my favorite parts mm-hmm. is that like she's like really into the you know she's the good guy really is she's saying like you can't do this these are these are also uh living beings who have a place in our society who can who have this a lot to contribute so that gets lost from the musical. But the musical is really wonderfully done. It has this fantastic set. Um, I've only seen it touring once. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's... And I'd love to see it on Broadway. But again, it's one of those things that you can never get tickets for. Like Wicked, The Lion King. We're not, or, Cats. I'm, Cats is now... Cats is back? Holy cow, I didn't even know Cats is back. Um, until I was watching Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, I didn't even and I know completely Cats forgot left. about it. I feel like Cats is one that's just Cats always was, playing. It was the longest running, and then it went off, and 
late 90s, early early millennium, something like that. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Um, but, you know, those are shows that are great to experience live. And Wicked just has such a phenomenal story, like I said, to it. And about, like, individuality. And Idina Menzel is just such a great... I think she's such a great person to talk about this. I don't know what it is about her, but she's very, um, she's like very open. She's very. And what role does she play in Wicked? Alphaba. Okay. Yeah. She's the main character. And Kristen okay. Chenoweth is, originates the role of mm, Linda. Kristen Chenoweth. I love Kristen Chenoweth. I'm super excited to see her in this live hairspray that NBC is doing. Yeah. I think she's going to do a great job. She does. She can't. She can do no wrong. I mean, like she's Kristen Chenoweth. She's just like cute and little. Funny. You mentioned Kristen Chenoweth, and that made me want to watch Glee. So we might stop this episode early to watch Glee. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, you know, I actually I kind really of like, no. I, this episode is sponsored by Pinot Grigio right now. So. <laughs> Cupcake Pinot Grigio. No, it's just Pinot Grigio. <laughs> Pinot. Um, Glee was a Glee was a good show. It went. Went down a little bit. I can't. You know what I can't though right now is I don't understand Ryan Murphy's. I really liked the first season of Scream Queens, and I think I've fallen off of it now. Did you watch it? No. I thought it was kind of fun in like a weird way. It comes on MTV, right? What is it? It comes on MTV, right? No, it's on Fox. I oh. think like all of it, like half of it. Okay, on Fox I thought right it now. came on MTV, but that was part of my reason for not watching it. No, no, no. Because any any of these shows MTV puts on, like Teen Wolf or any of this other stuff, mm. I, I'm very bitter about because I was like, just show music videos. I know, damn I it. Does it not show music videos? I haven't watched MTV. Last time on so TV you showed music videos <laughs> yeah. is when Prince died. And they only gave him like a couple days. Michael got like a whole week. It hurts my soul to hear that. No. I don't know what's on MTV now, which makes me feel old because I remember when I could- Real World. Real World. Okay, Real World was on MTV when I was watching MTV. I don't even know if they do actual Real Worlds anymore. I think they just do challenges anymore. <sighs> television. Television has not gone downhill, though. I will say that. Mm-hmm. I think there's still good stuff out there. What are you currently watching on TV? Um, anything Shonda Rhimes puts out, obviously. So you're a Shonda, Shonda head. Oh, my God. So much. Everything that she does is just, like, brilliant. Do you watch Grace, too? So... Grace is the one that, like, I will watch a marathon if it is on, but, like, because it started when I was so young and wasn't, because it's in what season now? So at least in the teens. Yeah, like, it started when I was younger and, like, didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't have, you know, want to get it, like, it wasn't in it, but of interest to I me. was in the early Grace. Like, I had, I still, me and Angel still have the couple early seasons of Grace. Yeah, talk about. That we've never watched. Talk about <laughs> a great, like, musical, the musical episode that they do because, um, Sarah Ramirez, who's on the show, mm-hmm. originated the... Mm, Sarah Ramirez. She's fantastic. She, she originated um, Spamalot, the role of... Um, what's her name? I don't know. I can't think about it. She's one of the original cast members in Spam. I haven't seen Spamalot in so long, but she does a fantastic job in, uh, in Grey's. And their musical episode is actually really great. But Grey's is the is only... Is it better one. than Scrubs's? Yes. Okay, fair enough. Yes. I mean, I'm not going to say, because, I mean, it's it's music that you already know that they're just, like, covering. Yeah. I mean, like. you can't really compare an episode where one of the songs is called Everything Comes Down to Poo to Spam a Yeah. Scrubs is fun. Like, the Scrubs one is really fun. But, like, I mean, again, it's also Sarah Ramirez is singing on it. Right. But Grace is probably the only one that I did not. But, like, everything else... How to Get Away with Murder is really just spectacular. The original Lady of the Lake? Lady of the Lake, thank you. There you go. How did I? I was like, she's not Guinevere. Um, 
no, but if you don't watch How to Get Away with Murder, everyone should, because Viola Davis is the queen of everything. Like, it doesn't matter what she's in. She could play whatever. She's fantastic in Suicide Squad. Hasn't seen Suicide Squad. Haven't Come seen on, How to Get man. Away with Murder. Never watched an episode of Scandal. Come on, what are you doing with your life? Having I don't a know. Baby right now. <laughs> Raising he- a two-year-old. My friend Heather asks me that all the time. She's like, have you watched this? I'm like, no. And Empire. I'm watching a lot of Empire. I'm over Empire. What is wrong with no, you? No, I'll tell you why. Okay. I'll tell you why. The first right. season was great. It's Even fantastic. The, the finale felt very jam-packed to me on season one. Season two of Empire, I did. I didn't watch it as it happened. I'd caught up on uh, with marathons and stuff, and it was still good. Yeah, but same time was like, God, I really don't care <laughs> enough about what's going on. And in the end of it, with with um, what's his face's wedding getting called off because of the, I don't even remember what happened. Somebody pulled a gun. Somebody got yeah. shot. Something soap opera, soap opera. We derailed I, a little. I really don't. But you got to get care. into this season is a lot better. Like we're back on the tracks, going forward. Like it, it went off the hinges a little bit, and then it's like back on. I promise you, this one. I mean, that last season, that little thug girl stabbed Jamal. Didn't she stab Jamal or something? Because she got <laughs> well, she, she shot him. She shot Jamal, and then right after they were making like song, like great songs together, and she came and shot him. And the, I was like. It, it's gonna get, just come back and try a couple episodes this season because it's—I promise you everything that you're you're upset about in the last. Because even I was like, oh crap, you guys like everything's kind of going. I didn't like how much crazy. backstory they gave. Crap, what is um Terrence Howard's char- character name? Lucius. Yes, like I didn't like the Lucius Lyons backstory so much. Like it was good to know kind of where he came from in season two. At the same time, it it. Dehum- I mean, it humanized him too much because season one built him up to be such this this monster slash icon in this world of Empire. And all of a sudden they're tearing him down and showing how crazy his mom is. And that's why he's crazy. I never really, I didn't really get into all that. But don't you like that it's like, it's like a human being because there's dimensions to all of us. It's It's too much too fast is the way I felt about it. I think you needed his backstory. Kind not of. so soon, not for me. Well, because you have to understand some things about like Andre and like the mental health I see problems what, in the family. I get that for mom. Andre with it for his grandmother. Yeah, or, well, with Lucius's mom. Yeah, mm-hmm. I get that. I see how that was important. And I, don't get me wrong, I see where they were going, but it was just kind of like, ugh, is how I felt about everything. Have you, okay, so the one thing I was telling. Somebody that I really like, Empire, and they were like, oh, you gotta watch Power, because if you like Empire, Power's like ten times better. I cannot, have you watched Power? I have not watched Power. Alright, check out Did Power. Did you watch Atlanta? I haven't watched Atlanta yet, and you're like, I need- Atlanta? To like sit is down. seriously one of the best sitcoms, I, it's not even sitcom, it's phenomenal. It's eight episodes of pure fire. Like, I could, is I woke up series? on Tuesday, no, it's, well, it was a shorter season, is what okay. they did. I woke up Tuesday mornings excited for 10 o'clock p.m. because Atlanta was coming on. And what, what channel is it on? It came on FX. FX. Okay, yeah. FX is great stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they they have another show that I really love, um, You're the Worst, which I'm a big fan of. Have you watched You're the Worst? I haven't watched that one. I've heard really good. Okay, You're the Worst and This Is Us are two of the ones that I really need to like actually sit down This and Is watch. Us is cool because I kind of catch it when it's on. I do enjoy This Is Us. Um, it's sad that I watched the worst show on Monday, which is the timeline, the timeless show. 
Have you seen that? Uh-uh. Where it's essentially a bad guy stole a time machine. But, oh, the good guys happen to have an older time machine. So they're chasing this dude through history all the time. And <gasps> it's a great idea. But at the same time, it's it gets, it's it's really... They take it completely seriously. It's not like they're like, ha ha, let's, let's, um, it's just, a, it's fun, but it's also kind of a stupid concept because, because they did, they, like they didn't execute it like serious. Let me think. Let me try. I'm trying to word this. The show is good. And I like how that it's like one time they went back to like the week Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. Another time they went back to the Alamo and it's bad guy. They're like, why is this guy here? What are they trying to figure out? So they're always trying to figure out this guy who they're chasing, who stole the original, the newer time machine. They're trying to figure out why he's in a certain era and trying to stop him from doing something, which is cool. I'm completely about that. But then at the same time, you can see the classic um, tropes coming into effect where it's like, um, let's say the there's, Abigail Spencer, she's like the main girl on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, there's a guy named Rufus on the show. He was on Better Off Ted, one of the most slept on sitcoms ever that got canceled way too soon. And then there's another guy who's like the soldier and the muscle of the group. You can tell where they're slowly going to put the muscle and Abigail Spencer together um, and stuff like that. So that kind of thing bothers me. And they do have classic cliches and stuff like that so i feel worse for watching timeless almost every monday and missing this is us because this is us is really a it's a cool concept of how, of how that's executed do you know anything about this is us and one of my girlfriends really loves it and she just talks about you know like how well it hers is she talks about how well it um delves into like mental health issues and particularly like depression and you know things like that right so she talks about how well it plays out with that but i don't know enough about it i've just had like a lot of people tell me like oh my gosh this is so good and you know i if only grad school didn't take up so much of my free time um i'd spend a lot more time at some point in my life i will date someone but after grad school i think i'm just gonna catch up on a lot of tv like, I think that's going to be what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit down and watch everything that, like, I keep telling people I'm going to watch. Starting with, I should actually just start with, starting with Atlanta over, hopefully, Christmas break. Yeah, you. I have all the Atlanta episodes, so. We should have it. I And I'm behind on Queen Sugar, which I actually. Really, I haven't watched Queen Sugar um, yet. I've heard good things. It's so, um, it's so good. I mean, it's just like. It's like your family is what it just it's it just completely encompasses everything about the family dynamic and how like messed up everything is, but how you always come together when you know shit hits the fan at okay. some point. So gotcha. It's fantastic. And um what's her name from True Blood? Uh Sookie? No, uh That's the only person I know from True Blood. <laughs> <laughs> the girl who plays Tara, um something uh we uh I can't think of her name right now. She's fantastic in it. Um, Tara Trueblood. Pull out the Googles. I'm Googling right now. Tara Trueblood was played by... Her name starts with an um, R. Rutina Wesley. Rutina Wesley. Yeah, she is fantastic in that. Never gotten a Trueblood. Vampire porn. It fell way off the rails at some point in time where I was like, oh, this has a real plot line. And then I was like, whoa, we've put in a lot of fantasy characters. <laughs> this is too much. There's wolves. There's minotaurs. I mean, there's a lot yeah. happening right now. So. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to ramp back up towards oh, Lord. the big finish of things. Okay. But before we do, I am 
within I don't remember how long it's been, but one of the things that I have not taken part in that you've yelled at me about for not doing it, one of those things that I'm now at the point of avoiding because it's so cool to do, I still have not listened to Lemonade. <gasps> oh, come on. So, you got to watch Lemonade. So watched or listened. So just watch so it. they can get an opinion that's not my biased pro Jay-Z one, tell people why Lemonade is so phenomenal. I mean... It's, it's again, it's like, why is music such a great vehicle to tell a story? She takes a story and she takes the words of this fantastic um, spoken word poet and uses that to piece together the story that she's telling with the album Lemonade. And it's just so beautifully done. You know, I'm a 27 year old white woman and I really should I, I really can't comment on you know what it is to be a black woman but in all you the can. I can't <laughs> I can't at all and I think I've read through a lot of the reviews about like how it really is a great representation of black femininity and I find it to be a great representation of like her southern roots and and things about life in in the south growing up you know West Virginia is not Southern, but it's below Mason-Dixon line is where I lived my whole life. So it's very, a lot of the things were very relatable, but it's also just so feminist and so relatable as a woman. You know, while again, I can't comment on the relatability for black femininity, like as a feminist and as a woman, there was a lot about it that was just incredibly moving because it was things you've experienced. It was this love and loss and and put out in a way that wasn't, that didn't have like a lot of commentary about it. It wasn't like telling you it's wrong to feel this way or it's right to feel this way. And, you know, like the, the sadness over um, someone hurting you, like saying that, you know, you got to just pick yourself back up and, and get up because you're worth more. It was like, it was letting you go through those emotions. So it was like a very... Um, it was just, it was very relatable because it was just what you want when you're having a, when you're having the best of times or when you're having a terrible time at this point and a low point in your relationship is you just want something that you feel and you feel lemonade when you watch it, when you listen to it, you feel everything that she's saying. And it applies in so many different, you know, like I love the song Freedom and it applies in so many different aspects of your life and just how you feel about you know like freedom to me like reminds me of when I go you know back after um after having stayed you know here or stayed in in DC for too long and having not been in New York and it's just like this freedom of like it's this moment to breathe to get back in New York sometimes is because mm -hmm. it's so big and it's so open and there's so many possibilities and there's so much of her music and particularly in Lemonade that is just incredibly expressive. Okay. So please watch it because it, it's, it's not, I know you love Jay. I don't think it's a critique of, of Jay-Z. I think it's just telling the story. It's telling a story, whether it's a real story or a story that has bits and pieces of it are reality or it's completely fabricated. So I just need to get over it. You need to get over it. You need to watch this. I'll give you my <laughs> title subscription so you can watch this because I pay for title every month. Um, so you are supporting Jay-Z, I though. am supporting Jay-Z. Um, oh, I, I knew I before, loved you for a reason. I got it before Lemonade came out. Oh. Um, you're welcome. Um, 
I, you know, I, I love Jay Z because of you. Um, I like Jay Z because of you. I don't know. I love Jay Z. You didn't like Jay Z that much before me. No, I mean, like, I'm still not. You know, like, I used to love Kanye, but I really just can't. Mm. I can't with Kanye anymore. <laughs> I'm not too much. saying his name. I'm sorry. I, I, I was very angry towards him in an episode that was just released tonight. Um, so, you mentioned New York City. I did. One of the things I think is really awesome that you did growing up is something I always talked about doing, but then I got bundled up with your sister. Jesus. Well, I mean, people always wonder, say, oh, I'm going to go to this city. I'm going to go live there and yada, yada, yada. And my thing was always like, I'm going to go to Seattle, even though it made no sense for me to go to Seattle. And I still want to go to Seattle. Seattle seems like a great place. And I've always just gotten a certain idea that I'd like to live in Seattle. I used to think the same about Chicago until it got super ultra violent. Um, but one of the things you did was you said... You graduated from WVU, mm-hmm. and then you looked for a job in a couple of places, and then you ended up getting a job um, at Demos mm-hmm. in New York City. Yep. And you I started much, Berlin Rosen first. Okay, well, I can't, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you would know better than me. Um, so <laughs> I, I came home one day, and then you're like, I'm in New York City, and I need a ride. <laughs> yep, and this is what I do. That's essentially what you did, is like within... A couple days, you found a place to stay, and then you, me and Angel took you to New York and dropped you off, and then you stayed there for three years? Yeah, I was there for three years. Three years. Um, so, I mean, what is it about New York City that just drew you to it outside of the average, I can get a job there um, in my I, field? Because you've been about New York for years. Yeah, I'd always wanted to live in New York. And, you know, before I moved to New York, I had only ever been there once on a day bus trip (laughs) like i just had this idea of what like everyone has this idea of what new york is and it is so much more than what you could possibly have like imagined growing up and like for me being a musical theater person like i'd always starting i started my college career as a you know i wanted to be a vocal performance major and then somehow i just was like i actually really like journalism i like politics i'm gonna go get a degree in journalism and, and working political communications and when I, when I got, I, I started looking in DC and I was offered these unpaid jobs and I was just like, I can't afford that. I'm, you know, I can't afford to live for, broke ass. I can't yeah, do that. I can't be three months, six months and, and not having like a real job. And I don't want to just, you know, work and, and have to get like a side job or something like that and not be able to fu- put my full attention towards, and it wouldn't have been in political communications anyways. So, you know, I got a job at this PR firm that did labor and political communications and they offered it to me and they said, you know, can you be here in a week? And I was like, yes, I can. And just got everything. Yeah. I just got everything together. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure out how you do this. I'm going to go on Craigslist. You know, I'm 21 years old, 22 years old. I don't even think I had a job at that point because I finally got out of the shoe department and I was jobless for a couple months. I might've been a target at that point. I don't remember. That's all right. I, I mean, I spent like three months after college sitting around hoping to God somebody would hire me in, in D.C. in particular. Um, and it was just, I mean, you know, it's you take what it's not you take what you can get. But like when something comes your way and you you see the potential in it. And it was a great opportunity that led to my job at Demos that then led to my job that I have here in, in D.C. Well, not here, but in D.C. today. I mean, like. It was. 
it's not fate. I don't really believe in that, but it was. I you was don't believe in fate, or you just don't believe in it in this sense. I mean, I'm not sure. I think not like, to totally take away your conversation. No, I don't really. I don't really believe. I don't like the idea of fate because I think you make your own opportunity. I think you make you your make your own, own luck. Yeah, you make your own. Luck. I've got okay. a like a a Jack uh, perspective from Titanic. So, like, you make I your love own. Titanic. I know, right? <laughs> back to I love Titanic. <laughs> back to how every like musical theater or movie uh, quote is what inspires my life. You make your own luck. Uh, some people have more opportunity than others. Like that's the reality of it. Mm. Is like I did. I was very lucky to go to New York because my mom gave me the money to start off. But um, I don't think it was like fate. I think I was just in the right place at the right time. Mm. Okay. But I think it's a little different. Okay. And I had the means to do something that sometimes other people, unfortunately, don't. Right. So I was I was lucky. Because there's hundreds, if not thousands, of people who go to the big city with big city dreams. And then they oh, yeah, wash out are. and <laughs> head home within seven months or less. Oh, there were a lot of times when I wanted to do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When you're down to your last, like, six dollars... Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, 90% of your paycheck is going, you know, you work at a nonprofit, and I, like, 80% of my paycheck was going to rent and bills and transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there were a lot of times when I wanted to do that. Yeah. But, just keep going. So, you've lived in D.C. for two years now? Almost? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going on two years. It'll be two years in April. Because... You moved to D.C. to be with your baby brother, and then your baby brother's like, peace out. Yeah. Well, I'm going back to Morgan's house. <laughs> well, he He's throwing in. the deuces right now. <laughs> he said, I miss Kellen, and I'm going back to see him. The true love of my life. Thumbs up. He was in D.C., um, and it didn't work for him. But D.C. was he always. He said thumbs down on D.C. <laughs> he had a very strenuous job. D.C. was not his his idea of. Of a good time. Of fun, no. No. I mean, I don't know if he sees anybody's idea of fun. Um, Christian's over here giving us hand signals. <laughs> he's being he's, he's, he's being very good sport about this. I know. He's super tired. He wants us to wrap it up. We're getting there, Christian, I promise. We're almost done. Um... No, DC. I, I DC had always been a plan. You can't really want to work in politics and not at some point in time want to work in DC. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's like a possible. Like I loved because I worked down at the state um, at West Virginia. I worked for the state legislature, and I loved that. I love state politics, but I think you like you try your hand at um, federal politics for a while and see how it goes. So DC had always been in the plan, even if Christian hadn't been there. Right. Right, but you 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 still would pick NYC over DC any day, right? If it if you didn't have to worry about the politics side of it and the job side, so, if someone said you either need to live in DC or you need to live in New York City, well, there's also the reality of like it is expensive. Like I spend so much less money in DC. Really? Yeah, way less money. It is so much cheaper. <laughs> the rent is cheaper. The, you know, just get, I mean, the one that's The booze is cheaper. The, the men are cheaper. Is, the booze is so much cheaper. Like, <laughs> listen, I, when I go into a bar and somebody's like, $6 for a beer, like, people look at me and they're like, $6 for a beer? I'm like, $6 for a beer? This isn't New York. I'm not paying, like, you know, $9 for a PBR. Um, Whoa, are you being serious? I mean, you're paying, like, a ridiculous amount. That I'm drinking the rest of this Pinot. It's Brooklyn. Happening. 
Christian, I'm sorry if you wanted more food. He's yeah, like he's not oh, a, he's not a white wine drinker. Oh yeah, he likes reds. Yeah, nine dollars for a peeper. I mean, it's pretty. It's gotten pretty expensive. Damn. I mean, any kind of beer is. I mean, anything in New York is much more expensive, and I think New York is also. You start to think about what life is going to be like as you get older, mm-hmm. and you see the struggle for folks getting around. You see the struggle for people who have children, um, if that's something that you want. And it's it's things like that that start. Um, growing up is so great, but it's also like a lot. I mean, there's a lot that starts to like hit you like a ton of bricks. How do you feel about the phrase adulting? Adulting. I'm I'm always adulting or trying to adult. I don't think I like adulting. Why don't you like it? It's it feels like a mockery of being an adult a little bit. It is. It's those of us who can't yet adult, really. You use it when you're not quite adulting. <laughs> but I don't be I don't walk around all the time saying on fleek either. So I guess it's the same thing. I don't think I <laughs> I don't think I have a know, enough knowledge about what that actually means to say it. <laughs> I mean like I need like a real proper definition. I get the idea and the concept of it, but I'm like I feel like I'm not gonna use it. Like correctly. right now this Pinot Grigio is on fleek. It's perfect. It's like on point. Yeah. But I feel like I'm going to use it in like a weird or wrong. And it's, I mean, look at me. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm just not cool enough at this point to use certain slang. I think they stopped using on point because when people like Heavy D who are now unfortunately passed away have songs called on point, then I think it's like, it's time for a new word. I don't know. I'm rambling. Seriously though, we're going to get into the, the big deals, the big, the big things and then get on out of here. Okay. Um, how did you first come to love Hillary Clinton? Oh my gosh, there's so much. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, like, because I told, I mentioned how you and Meg and Megan and um Megan Henry and Angel. Was there anybody else or just you two? No, we packed okay. up. You, you went. Know. You went to see Hillary the first time when she was still in the campaign trail in '08. And then you also went to go see the her Museum. her concession speech. Yeah. Um in 08. Um so what is it about Hillary that drew you to her back then? It's there's this whole concept behind if you can see it, you can be it. And I think at that point I was still in that stage of of never not really ever having seen a woman at that level in politics. And because, you know, I'm I'm from West Virginia and it's even when I worked down at the state legislature, it's still very male dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, and there still is, you know, like Congress is very male dominated. Um, the majority of our political system, although when you go into the Hill offices, you see a lot of women and a lot of women in, you know, very high level positions, which is great. But I think at that point it was the, oh my gosh, I've never seen a woman run for president and this is totally new for me. And that was one of the most, ama- you know, I'm so happy she ran again no matter the out- outcome, um, because that was a fantastic, it was devastating. You know, I was like six or 17 when she, when she ran, um, started and like, it was devastating when she lost the primary, but there was still this like momentum in right. the democratic party. And it wasn't just, you know, because Barack Obama was the first, um, you know, but was set to become the first black president. But it was that, like, it was somebody who was speaking Someone to who, all of us. Who was speaking to all of us who 
was a drastic change from eight years of George W. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I in mean, my opinion, which is why I always support him, even though some people, Angel, who always said, you're only fighting for Barack Obama because he's black. And I was like, no. No. I mean, like, you know, I voted for the president in both elections because, again, I have a strong belief in the Democratic Party's platform and principles. Um, and, you know, for me, I think Hillary Clinton now, the appeal has always been that she is, she's so good with working with both parties and finding this middle ground and as radical as I like to think I am I think I'm only radical and I'm everyone would joke you know that like in New York I was definitely like more of a New York Republican than I was like a progressive Mm -hmm. um because I I was I was a gradual change meet people where they're at kind of uh person so for me, Hillary Clinton is just very, I think, more palatable than a lot of farther left Democrats. But I think she still has the same values of the Democratic Party that I find to be most appealing. This These values of like pursuing more equal opportunity for folks and creating more equal opportunity for people. Um and that's not to say that I don't think the Republican Party has the opportunity to do that. I think that their focus is in a space that I just don't agree creates those kinds of opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen it to change my mind. Um, but I think for me, you know, like, that's her appeal to me is that she just, she, and I, I really, her campaign this time was very different. And I loved it because it just truly, it was very, I felt, I felt it was very genuine. I always have thought that she is a very, I've always thought she's a very genuine person. Mm-hmm. And like this whole idea of like the love and kindness, which is kind of like how I live my life is like, just don't be a jerk. Like if we can all just, just get along and not be like an ass to each other. Now, one of the things that I felt like was missing from Hillary's campaign this year is I felt like there was times where her campaign platforms got away from her as far as when she was not so much um the debates or anything but i felt like there was times when her her platforms got away from her and there was a lot of times i felt like she was kind of riding on the idea of i'm not donald trump i think now is that just uh, me or not or was i missing a bigger picture i think people were pushing this idea of like Oh, thank you know, like there was there was a little bit of chaos within the Democratic Party, I think, following the primary. And the thing is that we saw this when Hillary and and the president were at the end of the primary season there. So we saw that there was a divide in the Democratic Party and we didn't ride out, you know, like, oh, at least he's just not John McCain, which is is not a bad thing to be. Senator John McCain is a very admirable man. Um, And of course, we you know, that. We never would have said that. Um, I don't think it was a great idea because it was kind of giving into this idea that people didn't like her. And I think instead of trying to reach those folks, we just said, oh, well, just say you're not the other guy. And that'll mean that you're just a little bit. It's this idea of, you know, like, as long as you're just like this much better than this person, then you're okay. And I don't think that was a... That wasn't at all, like, a great way to to frame things, right. I don't think. So, I don't think you're wrong. 
Um, and I think that there's, you know, we're going to analyze this for years and years and years to come. And smarter people than me will be um, far smarter than me will be looking into this. You know, for me as a communicator, I think there were a lot of times when there wasn't opportunity for her to kind of like be let off the leash, so to speak. I think she's great when she's one-on-one -on -one with people. I think she gets a little um, stiff in front of a crowd. And that is just mm -hmm. something that the, the only thing you can do is just keep going in front of a crowd. But yeah, she's not so she's not so much Bill when it comes to the large crowds. No. Or, or you know, the president or Michelle. I mean, but she's. Of course, Bill is a born entertainer. Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> these are folks who who are are comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Donald Trump is, was extremely comfortable in front of a crowd, and he did one of. I, I tell people this all the time. I'm like, he did the smartest thing that you can do. He took all of those people and focus tested his message over and over again. Whatever had the biggest applause line, he kept coming back to that. That's where you got the build the wall, the locker up, like all of that crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean. And I, I feel bad. Like it's crazy. Like all of those things are just nuts, you know. Right. Um. And but it got all of these applause lines, and it was like he was saying, you know, talking to a lot of angry people and feeding off of that anger. And how it was a focus group. It was a giant focus group of people who, if you just said whatever validated their anger, then that was where that was what he just st stuck with. Mm-hmm. Okay, so before I ask you about Trump, oh Lord, do you think she would have had a better chance if she had beaten Barack in 08 or if Barack yes. had not have run into in twenty twelve? Do you feel like do you feel like they picked the wrong candidate, the Democrats, this year? Personal bias aside, from you loving her, do you think if they had put Bernie or if Biden had been interested? They put either one of them up versus Trump, they win. Or I, does she win in those other years? I think we spend a lot of time. It's it's really not. We spend a lot of time talking about this. Like, oh, was she the wrong candidate? You should was watch SportsCenter sometime. They do this stuff all the time. Oh, Lord. Oh, that was, <laughs> you know, that these are problems that the media is now. And as someone who works with the media and loves the media, we're focusing too much on this right now. Mm -hmm. Like, the problem isn't, did we do this? Did we do that? We can't fix that. Um, and did we do the wrong thing? Did we pick the wrong person? I don't know. If Donald Trump hadn't run, would, you know, Ted Cruz have been able to beat Hillary Clinton? Would, uh, Bernie Sanders have surged in the, I mean, like there's a million other factors. There's economic, I mean, there's so many things that happen between the market and between, um, what else happening in foreign policy? So pretty much you're pleading the fifth. No, no. <laughs> no, it's just so much. This is what I'm talking about with like. Folks not having the time to to sit down and talk about these things or think about these things because like I don't have time to honestly sit down and like think about like what could we have done right in this situation. There was there was no right answer to any of this because there were a million there were what eighteen people running for the Republican ticket and somehow this guy got it. Yeah. There was you know, a lot. There was a lot of I don't ever remember there being they any candidates. Yeah. Had had there been 70, you know, like, had there been 12 candidates, would Donald Trump still have been the nominee? Would he be the president-elect right now? You know, there's so many what-ifs that I just don't think that it's a fair question 
nor do I think that it's a possible question to answer. Okay. So. <laughs> Does that satisfy you? No, I mean, that's, that that's a good answer. You. No, that's a good answer. <laughs> good answer for squirting, squirting, skirting all around the answer I wanted Listen, to Listen, I truly well, believe I was, I was that, though. If it had been, I mean, like, if, if this had been Bernie sitting here and, um, having lost the election or something like and somebody looked at me and said would it have been better if hillary had been the president or would it have been better if we picked her for x time like we have no idea because there's like a million different things because it's it's like asking you know we always ask like how would al gore have handled 9-11 we don't know and we will never know he would blame it on global warming well that's a really bad joke (laughs) that's a terrible joke right now um so Go ahead. How do you, how do you feel about President Elect and be as political as you was about that last? <laughs> as, not political as um. I don't know. Don't I know that you're trying to not blast him, but be as well rounded in your answering as you was with the last question. Since I can't think of words because I was drinking Pinot Grigio. Go ahead. <laughs> Look, you know, I don't want anyone, I don't want anyone, Democrat, Republican, no matter who you are, I don't want you to fail when you become an elected official because that doesn't do anything for the people that elected you or the people that do need you. There are a lot of people in this country who are in desperate need of help right now. And Mm -hmm. I don't want this man to fail just so that I can look back or that any liberal can look back and say, we told you so, you should have done what we told you. Like, no, I don't want that to happen. Do I think that? But if that did happen, you kind of be happy, right? No, <laughs> no, I'd be sitting here figuring out how the hell do we fix this? Right. Like that's what you have to do. It's every day is is trying to fix the next problem that comes at us. But do I think he's prepared for this? I don't think he see he understands the scope of what he's gotten into. It's very this is different and. It's not like running a business. Running the government is not like running a business. Like, mm-hmm. The government functions in a completely different way. And that was something he was way. always trying to hammer home in the, at least the debates. I mean, was that, like, I have done all this over the years. Yeah. I can do this, too. It's a And I think popular. a lot of people, a lot of people was like, yeah, totally. I watched the guy on The Apprentice. Why yeah. Not? Yeah, but we're talking about multiple different departments with, you know, agencies underneath of that, that are, I mean, our government is broken down into so many different subgroups and subsectors. And that's just the, that's just government here. We're not talking about foreign policy. We're not talking about the larger, you know, he's talking about deregulation and what is it that, you know, repealing and replacing Obamacare and not understanding that these aren't things that just happen overnight, Mm -hmm. that, you know, the average piece of legislation takes, and he's already backing off Seven a lot years. of the stuff. Yeah, which I'm okay with. On, <laughs> I'm okay with. It was stuff I wasn't in agreement with. Um, and it's stuff that I don't think is good. It's stuff that I think is too expensive and that is not feasible. I mean, like, it's just crazy talk. Right. Um. You know, the mass deportation that's going to cost millions. I mean, like, we're just talking about just tons of money that we do not have. And if if reducing the deficit is a priority, like... We don't, then that shouldn't be at the top, then that's not at the top of our list. So I just think that he has a very steep learning curve. Um, 
but I hope that he surrounds himself with people that have an understanding of it and that can help him him move move forward and can help the can help the folks who you know who are angry right now and I think there's people within his base there's people on the Democratic Party Democratic Party we got a lot of work to do to put ourselves back together you know mm-hmm. um it's it's just such an uncertain time we're just moving into such a new era that we just haven't we have the law hasn't caught up with a lot of things that that our country is facing right now legislation hasn't caught up with it um regulation hasn't caught up with it and there's there's a lot of of stagnation right now that we just have to like look ahead mm-hmm. and say this is where we need to go and we need to figure out how to get here and if i had a roadmap i would share it with everyone but unfortunately <laughs> I do not. Right. So I'm looking to the leaders of I look to the leaders of the Democratic Party on a lot. You know, I I'm I'm looking to them for answers right now on how do we move forward. And I think that we have to kind of step on it to try and figure out how is it that as a party and as a country, we we move forward. I feel like I might be overly optimistic at this point. I think I'm in the denial stage of everything. But I feel like. He could possibly pull this off for at least four years. I don't think he could go eight. I don't feel like he wants to go eight. I feel like if there's nobody else who can step up after four years, he'll go another four. But I have this idea that he might be able to pull this off and surprise a lot of people. I hope so. I'm not saying that he's going to get my vote next time. No. I still don't. Necessarily. But maybe I'm just being optimistic and I hope that he he does it. No, I hope And it's right. not the nightmare that a lot of people think it is. Going to vote. I hope so too. I think we got to start by taking this Twitter account away. It's um, not nice. Oh, <laughs> it's not nice. He's not like Aaliyah. Not it's, nice it's at all. It's not very nice a lot of the things that he says on his Twitter account. Nor is it professional or will it well, be... Well, I think once he gets the POTUS um, Twitter account, because, you that know... That is generally not run by the president himself. Right, exactly. <laughs> because Brock has already said, of course, that that is going to be the official account of the president. So he'll get the POTUS, and then Pence will get the VP um, Biden account. They'll get their own accounts. And then once it's monitored safely, I feel like you won't see so many times him hopping on there saying something's not nice. But that doesn't mean he's exactly going to relinquish that real Donald Trump. Yeah, I, that's what I don't know what's going to happen. To that. I mean, I just don't, I don't know all of the security um, measures that have to be taken. He's costing a lot of money right now with the the New York splitting time between New York and D.C. And mm-hmm. I know which is which is problematic. I mean, you know, I know he's not taking the you know whatever it's like four hundred and twenty five thousand dollars salary, but it's costing me a couple million dollars a day. Secure Trump Tower, so you know that four hundred thousand is chump change, but um, it's a learning curve. <laughs> we just gotta hope that he speeds around it at this point. Okay, so one other topic I'm gonna get into, and then we're going to get out of here. Okay, I still don't think Cuddy and House should ever been together. Oh Lord, this is our argument that will go on forever. Um, if you don't you know, don't, listen, 
If you don't know, if you never watched House, Gregory House is the star of the show. Lisa Cuddy was his foil for several seasons as what was her official title? Like um Dean of Medicine. Dean of Medicine at the it was a learning of uh, teaching hospital at um what was the name of the hospital? Oh my god. I can't remember. I wanna say Sacred Heart off the bat. I can't remember either. But House aired for seven seasons. And in season six? Season six, I think. Season six five. Or seven? Five or six. They decided to finally put Cuddy and House together. And that's when I stopped watching. And that's when this one was finally fulfilled on years of... After I put her on the house. I know. After years of yearning for these two to be together, they finally did it. And I've always said that one prematurely ended the show. And two, you don't put those two together because they're just two people that should not be together. (laughs) Christian's like, just shut up. Just shut up in the show. This is the last one, Christian, I promise. You know, now that I... Oh, 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 you got to get closer to the microphone if you're going to agree with me. Listen, okay. (laughs) You got to get closer to the microphone. Okay, I now agree with you. Victory! But there's like a whole like, and this is too long for a podcast. Um, And you and I will discuss this off podcast later at some point in time. But like, there's the reality of toxic relationships and when you have when when you go through them you start to see oh shoot this actually isn't like this like (laughs) this isn't the best idea yeah this is a terrible idea this is like lighting a flame and you know throwing it in a house so it's not it's now like become more clear that it's like oh no this wasn't like a cute little you see it on screen and you don't have this um any idea about what how it actually is and then you're like oh shoot no don't put that in media because you don't want people to model their relationships or think this is okay or think or normalize this because the behavior between the two of them was not a normal or healthy interaction that was almost sleeping. a non-topic that was almost a non-topic Thank you. I know, and you you were going to skip over that, and I told you you were Thank right, you. and that's the way you want to end this podcast. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to say a bunch of jargon about where everybody can find the show, and then I'll say goodbye to you, and everybody can go to bed. Okay, Christian? Thumbs up. Okay. <laughs> so, if you want to find the Hyphen Nation podcast, you just go to behyphen.com, B-H-Y-P-H-N.com. If you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter. At B hyphen on Facebook.com slash resilient resin- resilient redundancies because the page is resilient redundancies, Kellen Conley. iTunes, of course, rate, review, and dis- subscribe. That way, more people will listen to Nikki's wonderful voice and hear all her opinions, especially the part where she said, I was right. Oh, um, that was wonderful. Best way I could wrap up a podcast ever. Christian <laughs> is so tired. Thank you so much, Christian, for allowing us to do this podcast. Because he did not think it would take an hour and 22 minutes. He's very sleepy and we have to get up early to go to breakfast, to the breakfast buffet. So, also you can find a show on Google Play, just search Hyphen Nation. On Stitcher, search Hyphen Nation. Um, Pocket Cast. Um, you can find it on the TuneIn app. Hyphen Nation is everywhere you want to be. You can Google it. Just, just type Hyphen Nation. You'll find it somehow. 
If you see a guy drinking a bottle of Pinot Grigio on the cover, that's me. Ironically enough, because this episode is sponsored by Pinot Grigio. Um, yeah, whatever I'm drinking is what the episode is normally sponsored by. It's normally coffee. Last time I think it was, uh, I might have been drinking last time. I definitely drank on the Trump episode. Um, so yeah, we're going to get out of here. Nikki, thank you so much for finding a way to finally do this podcast after us um, procrastinating for three days now. Listen, you got a two-year-old and she's she's a lot of energy, so we I needed was, our sleep. I was not good to go after Thanksgiving. No, I was exhausted. That uh, sangria getting to me. We're going to make that again. That was actually really good. I, I didn't like the pomegranates, though. They were too seedy. We can make it without the pomegranates. Okay. Okay. I win again. Just with the juice. Victory. Okay. Devil Wears Prada is on again. Recommendations for this episode is Devil Wears Prada because I love Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> and yeah, that's it. So, Nikki, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. No problem. I told you it wasn't like Trike Adventures. <laughs> Christian, thank you for persevering. Thumbs up. Um, I'm just going to leave this microphone in here. Um, shut down the computer. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, um, watch Devil Wears Prada, drink some Pinot Grigio. Be good to yourself and others. Shout out Jerry Springer. <laughs> um, watch watch some musicals. Apparently read Wicked. That's another recommendation. Recommendation. Um, and movies. eat more wings. Eat more chicken. Always eat more chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, y'all.